0: Gosh, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Great to see you. Happy New Year, I guess, is what we should say this morning. We made it to 2017, so I'm impressed with that. Happy about it. I, uh, my day started uh, almost like it does every day. A couple of little instant changes. Uh, Sandy gets up every day at 4.15, and... Uh, does her thing and then she goes and swims she works out and about the time she leaves is when i get up and have coffee and i have my coffee and for the last 4 weeks or so in the it's dark sun's not up till 7 and the christmas tree is lit and it's just the coolest i don't know it's just the coolest vibe and today was my my first day without the christmas tree and so i got up and preparing for this and i did what i uh, beg you not to do i checked uh, the news and and because there's a bunch of stuff going on you know to see if there were anything that i i needed to look at in terms of texts or emails and uh, luke who is not here today. Luke, being presidential, decided to tweet last night. And so I thought, here's how my day started. This is Luke's tweet. Uh, I'm kicking off the new year preaching at Redemption Peoria. So he's on special assignment. While Tom Schrader preaches at Redemption Gateway. Hoping folks come and stay awake. Now, I don't know, I don't know if he just didn't clarify, I didn't, I I, choosing to believe he meant come to Peoria and stay awake, but uh, even if he meant here, at least we got half of it done, you're here, and uh, I hope we can stay awake for the next hour or so. Luke called, I don't know. A week a little more and said on um, new year's day i need to be a peoria can you uh, teach for me and i said sure that i mean i love it i whenever i can i'm gonna say yes to that and i said is there anything because i know this series starts next week anything you want me to do and he said well it's new year's day so why don't you do something you know about next year and And that's kind of where everything is. If you go on, uh, I'm on the USA Today. I I use that app and news thing a lot. And there's just stories trending all over about New Year's resolutions. Sandy and I were out last night and uh, ended the night. And and, in the year, um, with with a pint of chocolate mint, Baskin Robbins ice cream, and that's about as wild as I can get anymore. <laughs> but that's pretty wild. And Sandy said to me again, it's like the third time this week. Um, so, what are your resolutions for 2017? And I, I don't, I, they're the same ones I've had since 1968. I mean, they haven't really changed much. I, I'm going to lose weight. I did. Lose, I just had my annual physical. I'm kind of bragging about. I lost nine pounds this year, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, it probably means I have a tumor. Uh, I, I don't. I did not know anything. And so I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to exercise, and I. This is this is something different, and and I don't know if I'll do it. Uh, I want to do it. But I don't know if I want to do it bad enough to do it. I'm going to try to read a book a month by an author who I would disagree with. Everything I read is by the same guys. We're in the same tribe. Confirmation bias. So anyway, I thought of that. So when Luke called, that's what I was thinking. You know, looking forward. But I decided to to go back and and do the old. What kind of year was, in this case, 2016? It was a, a bizarre year in a variety of ways. Probably the election typifies it all. But, but rather than do the, the big, you know, what kind of country do we have, what kind of year did you have? And I want you to, I want you to participate with me. You know, on a scale of 1 to ten, one being I never want to see those four numbers in that order ever again, and and, and 10 being I wish every year was like this. What what kind of year did you have? And and assign a numerical value to it. And, And you can do it pretty quickly, matter of seconds. What you may or may not realize Is that when you answer that question, what kind of year, what kind of restaurant, or what kind of movie, you unconsciously go through a a series of questions. And and one of the things that I want to emphasize as we head into the new year is that we need to live examined lives. We need to be thoughtful. Words like deliberate, intentional, intentional. Reflective. I was listening to somebody the other day and they said something that I've heard before and like so many things I've heard it and it was great and I forgot it and the guy said you don't learn from experience you learn from reflecting on your experience from thinking. I, I, I read a book not long ago called The Thinking Life. And I get a lot of book summaries, 12 pages, you know, 300 pages condensed to 12. And and so I'm going to give you a summary on the thinking life. And it's not 12 pages, it's not one page, it's not one paragraph, it's one sentence. Here's what the author said You need to think. And that's it, you need to think. And, and I think he's responding to most of our life becomes so mechanical. And we just get carried away in the flow, in the busyness of it. And we get up, and we do our deal. You know, my, my, I've I already shared with you, my life is almost every day. Wednesday, Thursday, the only exceptions. I get up about 5. I have a cup of coffee. Uh, I watch typically Morning Joe. I watch a little bit of... A little, little little bit of Fox and Friends. Then I'll check and see what I taped from the day before. Then I'll read. And then Sandy will come home, and then I'll do whatever. And, and then Sandy goes to boot camp at 4 in the afternoon. I need to be more like that. And then she gets home at 5.30, and you can have the f- smell of Boiling broccoli in the house. and We eat, and then we watch an episode of Blue Bloods. And then we go to bed. And then we get up, and then we do it all over again. And and if you don't intervene, you'll go with the flow, which sounds good if the flow is going where you want it to go but to live an examined life. So if I said, what kind of year was it? You, you ask yourselves a bunch of questions. If we went down to Santan Mall and said to people, what kind of year was it? And they said it was a seven. And, and we would say, how'd you get there? Here's some typical inventory questions. Number one, did you make more money than the year before? If, if you made 40 grand in 2015 and 60 grand in, in 2016, that's going to have an impact, or flip it around. Did you get more stuff than the year before? Now, we need, to, we need to make a distinction here. You don't need to have money to get stuff. I can get you in a bedroom set this afternoon with no interest payments till 2020, okay? <laughs> you don't need to have money to get stuff. This is really important. But you do have to have money to keep it. Uh, Maybe you'd look and say you improved your position, your career, you you advanced your degree, you got your your master's or your doctorate, or you became uh, licensed or recognized in your area of expertise. Uh, Maybe you advanced your image in the eyes of your friends. So if we rewind a week or two, when you walked into the Christmas party, everybody went, there she is there he is there they are and you love that or if you're dark like me maybe you cause envy in the eyes of your enemies you're one of those people that go oh they're they're shooting at me from both sides I must be right and, and I always thought that overlooks the distinct possibility that you're just a jerk and nobody likes you. But, but those are typical questions you could add to it. What, what I want to propose are some more profound inventory questions. Now, really quickly, and this could de-energize you, I've got about, uh, depending on how it plays out, 35 minutes, the chances of me saying something in the next 35 minutes you have not heard before is essentially zero. But it was Samuel Johnson uh, who, who, who once said, he doesn't look like the kind of guy you want to go out and watch a national championship game with or something. We need to be reminded more than instructed. I think especially in the Christian community. I want to teach. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to learn new things. But fundamentally, I'm not doing that hot with the things I already know. And and so I want to remind you. As you ask the question, what kind of year was 2016? Here are some of those inventory questions. Number one, did you want to recognize the importance of, of the very act we're going through, of self-evaluation? Paul writes this in Galatians 6.3. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. There's those natural times in life. Uh, when you graduate from high school, it's like the the first one of them. You go to college, you get out of college, you know, and that's great, because now you can move out of the dorm and back in with your parents and stay there for another 15 or 20 years and play video games. And, and, And so then maybe you get married, that's one of them. Or you have a baby, I, I think that's one of those. You hand that baby and you kind of go, wow, well, this is a, I, I know how to make one of these, but I don't know what to do with it now that I got it. There's natural times. What I'm gonna recommend is this should be a constant process, not paralysis by analysis, not overthinking it, but consciously examining your life. I became a Christian in 1980. And one of the things that I started to do was read. And I moved right into the golden age of bookstores. There, there were the Barnes and Nobles and the Borders. There was a great bookstore that people kind of forget, Bookstar, which was a, kind of a little bit smaller, but, but, but not hardly anybody in it which is why they're not around anymore. And, and they had these great titles, just a little bit offbeat. And I'd go and spend hours in there. And, and, and what I love about, I love so much about books, but, but one of the things they do is they tell you where the culture is. Like if you want to know, this is my view, if you want to know where the culture is, go to Costco and see what books they're stocking. Because whatever they're, they don't stock it, if it doesn't sell, Costco's got that figured out. If it's not moving, it's gone. So whatever they're stocking, bookwise, is going to tell you where people are. Well, it was a topic that was hot in the mid-80s to the mid-'90s. And, and there were books all over and seminars all over. I, I, I remember going to a weekend-long study on it. And it was this topic. You don't even hear about it anymore. Midlife crisis. Nobody has a midlife crisis anymore. Nobody can wait that long. And people are like, man, they're in crisis at 12. I mean, they're in 12, and the world is shattered, and 15. And Well, a midlife crisis, when you boil it away, was this. One of two things. Either you came up, for air, and you looked around and you said, Oh, I'm in deep water here. I wanted to have this goal. I want to be a millionaire when I'm 40. I turn 40 tomorrow. My net worth is zero. The Powerball's not till Wednesday. I'm probably not going to make it. And you go, Huh? Or, and this is far more crippling you come up for air, you're about to turn 40, you had all these career goals, relational goals, financial goals, you've achieved them all, and you go, "Eh, who cares? Well, how did you get there? You got there by living this life without stopping along the way to examine, to take an inventory, to take a look at your life. And it's very hard to do because you can't see yourself accurately. I, uh, this is my assessment, which could be wrong. I think I'm a lot better than I used to be, but I tend to be a very critical person. The only person that I give the benefit of the doubt to is me. <laughs> uh, I mean, I grade myself pretty understanding. But, but I don't extend that to you. So now I have these things called blind spots, which by bef- definition, I don't know what they are. I, I, I need help. And, and so you have to be open enough to allow people to, to speak into your life. Now, if you're married, um, God gave you a spouse that can... that can perform that task for them if you'll let them. The problem is the discussion goes like this. Honey, I I really want to improve. Tell me what I need to work on. And then they say, well you do this and go, I don't do that. Well that's a discussion killer. Okay, I'm not gonna get input there. But I need to understand the importance of input. And, And I have on my sheet here in big red letters Note bene, which is symbolic for Latin, means note well. It's not always criticism. I sometimes need to hear the things I do well. I'm, I'm surprised how often I'll say to somebody, You're really good at this. No, no. No, I mean, you're really good at it. No, no. No, you're really good. No, it just comes natural. <laughs> okay, that's your gifted area. That's your sweet spot, man. Stay there. Don't go do a bunch of these things that you think you should be doing. This is your sweet spot. You need people to say, don't be afraid. Your flinch when somebody says, give me input, is to give them criticism. Here's the second thing. You had a great year if you understood the value of time. The passage that we read from 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6. Paul somehow senses that his death is near. The time for my departure has come. And that, that changes everything. You always have those, and I, I'm, I'm not surprised by them, but, but I find them interesting, where somebody will have this brush with death, and they'll say, did it change your perspective? Yeah, it did. Well, but why do we need to move to crisis to get that perspective? Psalm 90, verse 12, and here's here's something I hate. When somebody says to me, you should write this down. I hate that, okay? Psalm 90, verse 12, you should write this down. (laughs) Teach us to number our days aright that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Help us understand the finiteness of time. And and the fact that, that I don't know what that span is. Your heart beats about 3,600 times an hour, 86,000 times a day, 32 million times a year. So when you watch the Rose Bowl parade tomorrow, I don't know how many heartbeats you've got left, but you have 32 million less than when you watched the Rose Bowl last year. And much of us live life like we're at an NBA game. We're waiting for the fourth quarter to hear the guys say, two minutes, two minutes. Now I'll go." Teach us to number our days of right. There's a website that uh, <laughs> became my—it became my screensaver for a long time. It's deathclock.com. <laughs> and and if you go to deathclock.com, you plug in your birth date, your gender, uh, your body mass, and then disposition, normal, optimistic, pessimistic. And then you hit it, and it shows you the estimated day you'll die, and it starts to count it down. And like I said, it was my screensaver, and it was driving me crazy. I'd be on the phone, and I'm looking at this, And this thing's going like this, and I'm going, get to the point, man, I'm dying here on the phone, okay? So on September Saturday, September 9th, 2023, if you're not doing anything, swing by Gilbert and they'll be doing a memorial service for me if my disposition is normal. If it's optimistic, it's October 16th, 2048, but uh, no one 's ever called me optimistic if it's when you put in pessimistic and you hit the button, it says, "Sorry, the time for your departure has passed <laughs> well i got to understand that. I know that I, I, I know the time for my departure has come. I know i 'm going to die i, I 've had the privilege in the last couple of years to spend a good chunk of time. Talking to younger folk, I've been out of Grand Canyon University uh, with different groups quite a bit. Uh, just, just different younger people, and I'm going to pick younger and make that a you know 18 to 40 group. <laughs> and here's what I try to tell them to start with, and this is a big deal. I've been where you are. I know you look at me, and you don't think it, but I've been there, buddy. Here's the part of the equation you need to get. And I am where you're going. You're going to be a fat, sick old man someday. (laughs) This is just the way it is. It's not going to change. You may beat it, periodically, I'll do a memorial service, and it'll be somebody who died in kind of a circumstances you couldn't anticipate, and people will say, oh, we were so surprised by his death. Well, I, I, not a time to nitpick it, but you're not surprised that he died, are you? Do you think this guy was going to be the one of 14 billion people on the planet that beat this thing? You only have a finite amount of time. And when you understand that, it changes your perspective. Paul writes this. It's one of my all-time favorite passages in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and it's certain we can take nothing out. If we have food and, and clothing with those we should be content. And, and I got into this years and years and years ago. It's like one of the first topics that I that I found myself really getting into, and it was this idea of contentment. And I saw it as this missing ingredient in our life. There's this permanent state of being discontent. I mean, you, you saw it, if you if you got little kids. And one of, the, one of the worst things about Christmas is watching these ungrateful little kids open gifts. And, and, and it just goes, it, it just, they just rip it open, and then if you push them, say thank you, thank you, they throw it aside, and they rip the next one open, and they rip the next one open, and they rip the next one open, and when they're all done, they play with the box. Right? When I get so frustrated when I see that, I'm not going to contribute to that. I'll give you a book or a gift card or something. I can't stand that. Here's why I can't stand that, because that's exactly the way I am. God gives me something, and I rip it open, and I love the gift, but I don't love the giver. Here's the missing ingredient in life is contentment. Now, I'm going to show you something. This is a big deal for me. So because it was big for me, I want it to be big for you. Don't know if it will be. I'm one day, I'm at Forest Home, and I'm teaching this passage. I didn't even know there was a screen there. Here you go. Just like this. And I'm teaching this passage, and I'm rambling around and rambling around. And all of a sudden, I saw something I hadn't seen. And I taught this thing a dozen times, that if you take out verse 7, this makes a lot more sense. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Skip verse 7, verse 8. If we have food and clothing with those, we should be content. Verse seven's in the way. Verse 7 screws this thing up. Any good editor would chop out verse 7. The problem is this, God wrote it, so it must be there for a reason. And in that moment, standing in this position at Forest Home, looking at this, I realized not that verse 7's in the way, but it's the key to contentment. We brought nothing in the world, you can't take anything out of it. Once you understand that, you can be content. You don't have to go and acquire and acquire and preserve and protect because you can't take it with you. One day when I saw that, I went, wow, my life is consumed. I uh, got, I don't know, six or eight weeks ago, a a new used car. It's 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 really a nice car. And uh, Sandy got it. Uh, it's a, it's a long story, but the essence of it is she was talking to a guy, and and she said, "My husband needs a new car." And he said, "Why well, haven't come in?" And and he Sandy he said, "He's not coming in." <laughs> and and she they started talking, and she saw this car, and she said, "This is what he would pick out." And it's absolutely it's ex- it's exactly the car I would buy. And the best part of it is, I'm sitting home, knocking a the door, there's a guy there, and he said, I've got a car for you. Drive it if you want it. It's yours. Didn't give it to me, but sold it to me. If you don't want it, call me and I'll take it back. And I loved it. I loved it the minute I sat in it, and the seats are moving around, and all this stuff. Here's the problem with this thing. I park it, Way out in East Egypt, because I don't want to get the thing dinged. I, I came here early today, and I'm going, where am I going to park? Because I know what's going to happen. Some family with 18 kids, they're going <laughs> to open a the door, they're going to ding this thing, they're going to drop their... They're bags, and they all look like grapes of wrath coming in here. And they're going to be all oh, of them all have dents all over this thing by noon. I didn't. What difference does it make? I can park it away. In a I parked it the other day way out. I can't remember where I was. Way out. I mean, nothing. I mean, rows, like from here to the back of the building with nothing in there. And I come out, and there's one guy, and he decides to park his car right next to me. And so I walk around to see if he put a ding in it, and he didn't. But here you go. I'm just reminded every day. It hasn't changed where I park, but I'm reminded every day, this is absolutely stupid. I came in with nothing. I'm leaving with nothing. These things that that you think will make you happy will bring you satisfaction, got it. But it's momentary, it doesn't matter. I I I don't want it to happen, but there's a sense in which I need somebody to open their door and just slam it into the side of my car and I'll go, perfect. I can park between two little things right now and it won't matter. I, I want to hone in. I, I've got not much time. Uh, 15 minutes, maybe. Looking at the year. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. And Paul gives you the assessment of his life. I'm blown away by this. Because you'll hear people all the time say, oh, at the end of my life, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, that's... Jesus' assessment of you. This is not Jesus' assessment of Paul. This is Paul's assessment of Paul. I I find that stunning. Here's what he said. I fought the good fight. You're in a battle. We tend to minimize it. You're, you're, You're in a battle with a real enemy. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 to put on the full armor of God. And uh, not to get technical, because I don't have that ability, but but just to to point something out to you that, that doesn't move into the English. Put on, in the Greek, has the idea of put on once and for all and leave on. In the English, if I just said, tell me what you read there, I think you'd say, put on, it would read like, put on the armor of God, fight the battle, take it off, put it on. I I only need armor when I'm in battle. But Paul says, put it on and leave it on, which tells me by inference that I'm in a battle 24-7 every day. And it's against the devil's schemes. His cunningness, his deceptions, our struggle. Some of the translations say wrestle. I I watched an Iowa wrestling match uh, yesterday. It was actually Midlands, so a bunch of schools there, and it was 157 weight. And it was an Iowa kid who was seated second against a kid from uh, Nebraska seated first. And they had their match. It went into one minute overtime. It, it, it then went into the sudden death type thing, which they both, neither one scored. Then it went into another overtime and another overtime. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know anything about wrestling. I, I don't know any. All I know is I, I don't want to do it. Okay? These kids were so exhausted. That's the idea that Paul has here. You're in that not for three, three three-minute periods. You're in that for the rest of your life. Against an enemy who's crafty and cunning, who's an angel of light and a subtle serpent and a roaring lion who's seeking to destroy you. Paul says, back to the text, 4-7, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I, uh, I I really wrestle here with how honest to be. Not that I would be dishonest. I just wouldn't be totally honest. Finishing the race is way harder than I thought it would be. I really thought, and, and I don't know where I got the idea, that, that somehow it would get easier. That life would wind down, responsibilities would fade away. And, and I, I, I thought it would be easier, and it's brutal. It's just the opposite. I don't know how to evaluate. You fought the good fight, but how? What standard do I use? I mean, the term that I have is the term that many of you have in your life, the new normal. I don't know how much I can do. Is that enough? How much is too much? I constantly feel like I'm underperforming. And, and then I go, but not enough to change it, so what does that mean? And life gets complex, and the physical aspect of it is, is grueling. And Paul says, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in awe of this. I fought, I fought the good fight. We see it in the stock announcements all the time. Past performance doesn't guarantee future results. The fact that it's been good doesn't, doesn't mean it. Doesn't, doesn't mean you'll finish strong. Paul uses this analogy in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, and he's talking about the the Corinthian equivalent of of the Olympic Games, goes into strict training. They would sign a contract. They would agree to train for at least six months. They would adhere to a strict diet and a training program. So they go into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that won't last. If you won an event in those Corinthian games, you you got a crown that brought with it three things. You are a lifetime hero in the land. So you're Michael Phelps forever. You have a lifetime tax exemption. And they can't draft your kids into the army or the armed services. Those are big deals. And Paul said, they go into strict training. They do it to get a crown that won't last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. It's the idea of discipline. I picked up a book, and I started reading after this is together. And, And this book has, this book is really good. It is written in in twenty oh five by Chuck Swindoll. I like Swind. I, I read so many books now that are that to me feel so esoteric and blah blah blah. And Swindoll just lays it out. But he's talking about discipline, and he said discipline is training that corrects and perfects our mental faculties or molds our moral character. I, I thought this was really good. Discipline is control gained by enforced obedience. It's that idea of I'll be disciplined. There's a whole bunch. I mean, L.A. Fitness, these places, are going to be jammed tomorrow. <laughs> but here's what I've learned. There's a big difference between joining a gym and going to the gym. There's a big difference between New Year's resolutions and doing them. I I feel like I'm, I'm, Sandy's got to be sitting over here saying, what a hypocrite. (laughs) She's got to be looking at it and going, he goes through this every day. I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it, but I don't. I can. I can the barometric pressure dropped. Today is not a good day to do that. <laughs> I'm shamming that ice cream <laughs> last night. I'm jamming that ice cream in, and I'm watching the clock, because we've got till midnight to get this ice cream in. And, and I'm all done, and I'm thinking, who am I kidding? I'm going to be back here for ice cream by Wednesday morning. <laughs> But it's beyond that. Those are easy laughs, and, and we relate to it. But, but it's the discipline to be the, the man or the woman of God that God's called you to be. We do it to get a prize that will last forever. Paul says this, back to 4.7, 4, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith we got about seven minutes. Now, look at the definite article there. He doesn't use a personal pronoun. He doesn't say, I kept my faith. He says, I kept the faith, the body of truth. I think, I'm not sure, that Luke shared with you a couple of weeks ago that the Oxford Dictionary has picked the word of the year for 2016. And the word is post Truth. It's defined this way, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. We went through this election cycle, and and I don't I don't care. I'm not in it. I'm not giving you candidates. I talk to people both sides, three sides, four sides. And I would say, but here's the fact. And people would say to me, what? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what the facts are. Let me tell you what, we're in a tough world. When he said, I kept the faith, you and I, and and I say this to encourage you and say, be strong. You're going into a world that says, it doesn't matter. We can't even figure out which bathroom to use. And you're going to come along and say, but Jesus is the only way? And that's going to be really hard in this world. And to say it with gentleness and love and kindness and care? but I can't waffle on this. And Paul said at the end of his life, I I, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Here's the last thing. And he anticipates the idea, the reality, that Jesus is coming again. It's in verse 9 or 8. Now, therefore in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but all who've longed for his appearing. This verse is critical, in that if it stopped at the end of award me on that day, if there was a period there, I'd go, good for you. But he doesn't say that. He says, you and me, this is the future. There is that day when I will stand not, not, not with the commissioner of the league or the sales manager or the, or the company's CEO on stage at the annual sales convention and i will get the trophy. It's not that. It's, it's an award, it's a crown, it's a recognition from Jesus. Here, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, and this shouldn't surprise you. I want to go to heaven. Okay? But I want to go to heaven more and, uh, to get out of here than to be there. I get sick of this. When we read about heaven, no more tears, no more hurting, no more aching. That's not what makes heaven special. What makes heaven special is Jesus is there. Revelation twenty-two, uh, last words Jesus speaks in the New Testament. Behold, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Second Corinthians four sixteen. Therefore, don't lose heart, though the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, because we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, because the things that are seen are temporary, the things that are unseen are eternal. This is all temporary. This is all passing away i 'm so excited for you to get this building built across the street. I just think i mean I, I, I went through it in, in a couple phases of it at at East Valley at gilbert I, it's it 's going to be unbelievable you 're going to be over there and there 'll be the grand opening and there 'll be bouncy houses and hot dogs and all this stuff and and god 's going to get glorified and preaching, But there will be a day not long from now when somebody's going to buy it and knock the thing down. (laughs) Not to rain on your parade too much. But but that's what's going to happen. That's the nature of it. Everything is recycled. Everything is a rehab. Everything is a remodel. This is all passing away. And when I get that locked and loaded, that becomes my motivation that's how i push through that's how i in in i never run a marathon but i understand there's this thing called the wall that you hit where many people quit and and and, and it's not as much Physical, though there's that, but there's mental. How do I get through the wall? How do I get through the wall in life? I push through when I understand that this is temporary. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It matters. Because it's here that I'm demonstrating the love and the honor and the glory of God to the world around me. But I'm not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying I'm in the land of the dying going to the land of the living now, now what kind of year did you have you had a number when we started maybe it changed when we asked these new questions maybe you came up maybe it was a 2 and now it's an 8 or it was an 8 and now it's a 2 I, I don't care that much Here's what I know. If you had a bad year, let I me mean, I mean, net this out. It's your fault. Not Luke's fault. Not Matthew's fault. Not your spouse's fault. Not your boss's fault. It's your fault. Here's what's really condemning. If you have a bad 2017, you got nobody to blame but you. You can ask these questions. That doesn't mean circumstances are going to be up and easy and no hurt, no pain. doesn't mean that. It means in the midst of that, you see God work. I, I was listening to somebody teach the other day, and I won't tell you who, because if I did, you'd think less of me. But he said he defined faith, and I liked it, as seeing the world from God's perspective. That's what I need to do. I I need to push through all these illusions and see things as God sees them. And that will make 2017 a great year from an eternal perspective. It It doesn't mean you won't get sick. It doesn't mean you won't have relational problems. It doesn't mean that your car's not going to get dinged. Right? Gosh, that's killing me right there. But but it doesn't mean those things. It means that in it you're going to go. But, but how do I glorify God in the midst of that? How do I see Him work? And the reason I can think that way is because Jesus came. We just did. We just did the Christmas gig. We can't separate Christmas from Easter. To paraphrase the old Tony Campolo, it's Friday, but Sunday's common. It's Christmas, but Easter's common. And Jesus rose from the dead. He died for you. We celebrate that. And that drives the way we live.